back to the I Am Symposium. And today we have a very special shamanic practitioner, traveler, author, who I don't know if he even knows, but he was very instrumental in my, um, my awakening. He was giving a lecture one day in front of the class and it was a lecture. He was up there. It wasn't PowerPoint, but it was a lecture and he started to rattle and I started to travel. I had an entire dismemberment experience my friends who were sitting with me began to get worried about 45 minutes into the lecture when I didn't return. But then I came back and then they, you know, slumped over my friend's arm. She, you know, poured me into bed and I had a three day adventure in bed where I actually um, had to go through this experience where I was totally cut apart, sewn together with arrows. Um, then I was taken in a spaceship to be interviewed for a job, which, by the way, I got. And now, uh, all these years later, sitting here with Hank Westman, I think I understand that I was being interviewed for this Windwalker's job that I have, this, uh, this wind woman. So let me introduce Hank. He began, Hank Westman began his career as a paleoanthropologist after completing his undergraduate work and his master's degree in zoology at the University of Colorado at Boulder. He then served in the United States Peace Corps, living among people of the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, which is where he first became interested in indigenous spiritual traditions. He went on to earn his doctoral degree in anthropology from the University of California at Berkeley. Over the past 45 years, he has worked with an international group of scientists exploring the fossil beds of the Eastern African Great Rift Valley, seeking answers to the mysteries of human origins. His fieldwork has allowed him to spend much of his life with tribal people who have rarely, if have ever, been visited by outsiders. These were among his first encounters with traditional shamans. Dr. Wesselman is also a shamanic practitioner and teacher, or shamanist, as he says, now in his 36 years of his apprenticeship. The books in his autographical trilogy, Spirit Walker, Medicine Maker, and Vision Seeker have been published in 14 languages and reveal the nature of his initiation into the shaman's world, a reality that growing numbers are eager to experience themselves. He is also the author of The Journey of the Sa to the Sacred Garden, A Guide to Traveling in the Spiritual Realms, The Bowl of Light, which shares his teachers of authentic Hawaiian kahuna mystics regarding the end of his cycle of ages and the beginning of the next. In his most recent, The Reenchantment, A Shamanic Path to a Life of Wonder. That is a mouthful. We're so honored to have you and to have that you're taking this time with us today from Hawaii. And um, people can find more about your work at sharedwisdom.com. So I'm sure you're going to want to look him up and I'm very excited to have you here and, and, and see what you want to teach to us about the winds. Well, it's delightful to see you again. It's been a long time since we last crossed trails in Italy, in Tuscany, you know, where we had great adventures. Um, but that's another story. But, you know, since you brought up my patio work, um, when I was a little boy, 
as I've written in the reenchantment, I had a special relationship with the North Wind. And it's because I read, my mother read me a book called At the Back of the North Wind, which is a children's shamanic adventure story about a little boy named Diamond who has a relationship with the North Wind, who takes this little boy uh, in vision to a magical, beautiful land at the back of the North Wind. And so when I was a little boy, I always had this, this sense of being connected with the North Wind. I was living in New York at that time. And when the North Wind came, it was formidable in the winter. I don't know if you've ever been in New York in the wintertime, but I have. <laughs> when you're facing into the wind, you've got to back up when you go around the corner. <laughs> you know? So I always had this, this relationship with the, with the North Wind. And interestingly, I didn't perceive it as a, a woman flying through the sky with tumultuous masses of hair, which represented the wind. I perceived it as this tall, dark sort of form, an amorphous form with light sparkling deep inside, it, kind of like those sparklers we used to wave around when we were children on the 4th of July. This is how I perceived it. And I had largely forgotten about this until I was out in the Afar Depression, the Afar Triangle in northeastern Ethiopia. This was in 1995. And we were looking for fossils. And in fact, we found fabulous things. We found the missing link between humans and apes, which is called Artipithecus ramidus. And it's been heavily published, including a, a cover on National Geo in 2010 in July. But, you know, I was out there getting baked on these hillsides, these arid hillsides, like at 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. It was like being in a convection oven. And I began to wish for a breeze, if I could put it that way. And when I thought about this, you know, I just kind of put the thought into motion. And within 10, 15 minutes, a breeze would arrive. And then there were the dust devils. Then there were the dust devils. I remember uh, when we had this, this project, which was down at a sand river, and we would pump water out of the sand river to wash these sediments through very fine screens to extract very small microfossils. And every day, about one o'clock in the afternoon, this huge dust devil would come dancing down the sand river, and it would pause and then it would go through our camp and it would blow everybody's laundry and towels up into the thorn trees and fill everybody's tents with dust. And it did this day after day at the same time. So one day I got fed up and I got out in the middle of the sand river and I looked at this dust devil, which was about 500 feet high. And I said, you know, I called it a genie. I assumed that it was a gin. And I said, hey, genie. You know, I shouted <laughs> at the top of my lungs, stop, stop cruising through the camp. You know, and I went through my request and so forth and so on and told the, the dust devil what it was doing. And it paused. And instead of racing into the camp, it jumped on me. And suddenly I was in the midst of the dust devil and my hat, as I recall, went up about 500 feet in the air until it came down again. And the Turkish geologist that was working with shouted, Ah, the genie hears you and obeys, you know, that sort of thing. And after that, the dust devil never went through the camp again. Now, this is rather interesting. But, you know, what came to me uh, when I was writing uh, The Reenchantment was a chapter called Encounters with the North Wind. And, you know, 
There was a time when I was teaching in Sacramento, and it was one of those hot summers where it never came below 100 degrees for like three weeks. You know, everybody's air conditions were working double time. And in the daytime, it would go up to 120 degrees. And I began to yearn for the north wind. This was in September. And one day I looked out at my study and the the trees and the birch tree outside were dancing and I knew the wind had come. So I went out and it was the north wind. And this wonderful cool breeze was sweeping through me, sweeping through my hair, you know. uh, And I just stood there in the neighborhood with my arms out, my eyes closed, and just welcomed the north wind back and let it blow through my soul. And it was about 15 minutes in when I opened my eyes. And as I've written, you know, I lived in a very conservative neighborhood at that time. And my neighbors were staring at me. They were not reassured. But that afternoon, I went to Sierra College where I was teaching a class called Magic, Witchcraft, and Religion. And I don't know what I talked about on that afternoon. But that same afternoon, a girl came up to me, a woman, came up to me after class and said she had psychic abilities. And she wondered if I knew that there were others beside the students who came to hear what I had to say. And I looked at her and I said, others? And I made encouraging gestures. She said, yeah, usually I see them in black and white or as shadows. And I believe that they're the spirits of of dead people who come to hear what you have to say. But on this particular afternoon, she told me there was this huge dark form with light sparkling inside mm-hmm. it, like sparklers. And this huge dark form noticed that she could see it. It became very differential and assured her through emotional pulses. This wasn't happening in the King's English. It was through emotional pulses that the message came through that it wasn't there to cause any trouble. It was interested in me. And it had a message for me. It said, you must keep writing. You have more books you have to write. Now, this was like 20 years ago. And so I did. I kept writing. And she said, you know, when I received the message, I looked at this huge dark form, and then it wasn't there anymore. It was just simply gone. But it was years later, when I was at Brightonbush Hot Springs in Oregon, that we were going to do a transpersonal healing ritual as part of a five-day workshop that evening. And this was in July when it was really hot. And the wind came on this occasion. And I've come to perceive it as the healing wind. Um, That's the way I experience it. So I have this, this strange connection with the winds, as you do. And I don't know how many shamanists, how many shamanic practitioners are actually engaged with the winds, but I seem to be and I still am today. Of interest, you know, just quickly, uh, today is Saturday. Last Monday, I had cataract surgery in uh, Honolulu for my eyes. I got an upgrade. Ha! Uh, and it's really great, you know. But the day before, the day before, all right, the north wind came. Now, the north wind never blows in the tropics. It's the northeast wind, the trade winds. The north wind came the day before. It blew the entire day of my healing, and it blew the day after, and then it stopped. Hmm. So, you know, we don't want to claim anything here, but, you know, I pay attention to details like this, so I don't miss them. So I've always had this wonderful sense of connection with the spirits of the winds. I don't perceive them in human form. I don't perceive them as human at all. They're rather alien. 
But um, they seem to respond when I connect with them. Let's just put it that way. I'll set my intentions into action. I'll think about them. And, you know, within a very short period of time, they tend to arrive. Hope the people on voyaging canoes don't find out about this, or they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna capture me and take me prisoner and make me bring the winds for them to sail all over Polynesia, which is what they do. You'll be but, done you know, with, this your, is, you, with your cord. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when I read your book, I really liked it. I really liked it. I think it's uh, it's a very unique book. And I think it'll give people a lot to think about, a lot to think about. And this is very important because you and I and others like us are contributing to a kind of spiritual revolution which is going on in society. You know, this is not a political revolution. It's a, not a social revolution. It's not an economic revolution. It's a spiritual revolution to bring people into connection with their inner sources of wisdom and power. And it really begins with nature mysticism and then progresses from there into authentic deity mysticism in which we can connect with the folks upstairs, as I think of them, the higher organizing intelligences in what Christians call heaven and Muslim people call paradise. And they're real. This is what we discover as shamanic practitioners. Isn't that not right? So this must give you um, pause and maybe some questions come up for you. Absolutely. I'm going to go out on a limb here, if we could. When, when um, supposedly maybe a comet hit the planet a few 2,000 years ago or more there, or was it longer? And what, I, what I've been getting a message from the wind, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, is that it, when the planet went dark and there was no air moving for a while and it was covered in uh, darkness and no ability for the air to move, that it was the winds that these higher higher beings that you're calling that maybe from heaven or because you know Nirvana's a wind as well, is that it was the winds that came back to reinform us. So uh, it's not surprising that the winds have come to reinform you at certain times in your life. But what do you think about that idea that that the wind stirred so that we could, you know, there's a lot of cultural appropriation people talk about, but what if all of that information was on the wind first? Well, Renee, this brings up the stromatolites. What's that? I used to, I used to tell my kids bedtime stories like this. Stromatolites, all right, initially the planet was, when it solidified into stone and there, there were seas, there was water here that was, it may have been brought by comets, we don't really know. But there were these, uh, there was no atmosphere that was breathable at that time, it was a poisonous atmosphere. But there were these anaerobic clusters or colonies of bacteria that lived in the shallow seas called stromatolites. And there's only one place, two places in the world where they still live, in the shallow seas of Western Australia and in the Bahamas. Stromatolites at low tide are exposed and they kind of look like blobs of, um, of what, like blobs of chocolate pudding, but they're solid. And they form these large blob-like structures. And what they are, are colonies of bacteria which are anaerobic. And what they do is they produce oxygen. And when the tide comes in and you dive with them, you see these blobby forms 
which were not coral, and they're fizzing. They're fizzing. They're producing oxygen. They are the ones who produce the breathable atmosphere of this world. And so we owe the, the stromatolites a great gift of thanks, you know, for creating a world in which, you know, organic life forms could survive on the planet. And ultimately, I think they have a, a relationship with the winds as well, because they produce the atmosphere. And as the atmosphere moves, it goes where it wants to go. You know, the winds are completely free, but they have their own, their own kind of consciousness, their own kind of awareness. And as shamanic practitioners, we can connect with them. My wife, Jill, who you know, has made a suggestion that we do a pilgrimage to Western Australia or to the Bahamas to pay homage to the stromatolites. <laughs> I love you know, that. <laughs> it might be a good idea. You know, I used to tell my kids stories, bedtime stories about things like the stromatolites or the titanotheres. The titanotheres were huge rhino-like beings that lived during the Eocene and Oligocene periods, you know, like 30 million years ago. And then they'd go to school the next day and they'd tell their teacher and their, their classmates about the titanotheres and the stromatolites. And I think everybody thought they were just making it up. They weren't. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, there is this uh, one wind goddess, um, Yangdong Hamang, who comes from uh, this island off the, off the tip of South Korea. And for the longest time, I was stumped with this one because I kept looking at Korea and they're like, well, this just, you know, this Muslim type country, where does this wind fit in? And so I, I dug further and I thought, and I found Jeju. And Jeju, I don't know if you know about Jeju, is an interesting place because their, their creation story is about a mother goddess who's a giant. So some of those giant stories that you're talking about in those, you know, oh. when the giants roamed the world, right? Uh-huh. So the North Wind is this tall giant. Exactly. And, Not and a huge giant, but an amorphous giant form. Right, and that I mean, dust devil you met was sounded quite large as well. Oh, it was, it was. And on the day that we left the field, all right, we broke camp and we had to drive for two days across country to get back to Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. And we were driving in convoy. We had seven vehicles. We were driving across the Afar lands, uh, which are totally remote. I mean, there are no roads. This is where uh, SUVs really do their job, you know. Most people have never experienced that. But, you know, as we're leaving, I had the Turkish geologist in my car with me. And I said, gee, you know, we're leaving today and we haven't said goodbye to the genie. I called it a genie. And he said, yeah, it's too early in the morning for genies, you know. And we're driving down the track that we had made. And suddenly, the death devil taps down right in front of the car. It's wow. right in front of us. It dances down the road in front of us for several miles, and then it was gone. It was gone. So there's a relationship there. There's a relationship there. And, you know, this is just a constant affirmation that the powers of nature, you know, this is where the healing energy comes from. The power to heal comes from nature. And all of us who practice and who are aware as shamanists of this, you know, we work with that, that energy, we work with that power in order to facilitate healing in other people.
And on that occasion at Brightonbush, when the North Wind came, we did a transpersonal healing ritual for somebody in the group who was seriously ill in that, on that evening. And that person uh, recovered. And that illness, it just kind of went away. This is part of the myst mystery of it, you know. So, you know, I, like you, tend to think of it as, quote, the mystery. And I call it the mystery because that's its nature. Its nature is to remain mysterious. And it's always just, just right out there, right out there in front of us. And we reach for it, but we can never quite grasp it. We can never quite understand it because it's mysterious. But I think that the job of the mystery is to draw us forward onto the path of our destiny so that we can become who and what we're supposed to become on our long walkabout across eternity. Good idea, don't you think? Yeah, I love that. Did the, uh, you know, you're the scientist. So, I mean, it must have, I, I mean, I'm sure you've told the story a lot, but as a scientist, all of a sudden, you know, where did the science and the mystery meet for you? I mean, how did, how did you say, oh, well, I'm a scientist. This is going to be okay to, I mean, how, has that been a process in your life to absorb that idea that the science can only get us this far and the mystery is here and there's some kind of, space you get to walk about in between or or how, how do you dance with that line in your life well you know as a paleoanthropologist and by my early 40s i had climbed the ladder and i was at the top of the ladder i was at the top of my field doing research with superstars like the the leaky family don johans and the guy found lucy you know we were all in the field together and you know there I was in my early 40s at the top of my field with grants from the National Science Foundation, super science. And I think the guys upstairs, I'm talking about, you know, my spirit guides and my teachers. I think they got tired of waiting around for me to get what I was really supposed to be here to do. And so they sent in one of the big ones. And that's where my book, Spirit Walker, begins were on the heels of a joyous marital encounter with my <laughs> Jill. I was precipitated into a visionary state in which I was taken to a place of mystery at night in the forest. And I was very much aware that I was lying in bed next to my wife and she was reading and I could hear her turning the pages of her book. But I, my mind, my conscious awareness was somewhere else. And it was in this forest in the dark that I encountered this huge dark being. You know, let me show you something. It looked very much like this. Wow. I, I hope it comes through. I can see it. This is made out of wood, and it's made out of a man who does by a man who doesn't really know what it is. You know, he calls it a guardian, but this is what it looked like. And it was in this state that I had a direct encounter with this being. And when you've had the awesome jolt of the real thing on the home ground of these spirits, it changes you. And when I came out of this experience, I suddenly realized that my ladder had been leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> and I had to start all over again at the bottom. And I'm still trying to work my way up. You know, uh, when you're an apprentice in this tradition, um, I don't believe there are any masters. That's one of my sticks, you know. 
Uh, I feel a lot of unease when I hear people call themselves a master of something, a this master or that master. I think we're all students and students for life. But, you know, that was the first uh, encounter and it changed me. And then, of course, the spirit walker experiences began where I was drawn into connection with the mind and soul of a man who may actually be one of my descendants. In fact, maybe a descendant selves. This is a man who lives in the future, approximately 5,000 years after the collapse of Western civilization. And these visions, these spontaneous connections with him, when I was in connection with him, it was I was him. It was like I was him. I was seeing through his eyes, listening to his thoughts, listening to his memories. And I learned a heap about him and his time and his history. And it eventually stretched into three books, and I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, let me just say, I'm very grateful to Hay House for publishing my third book. The first two were published by Bannon Books in New York, and they've done very well. Um, I still, you know, get a lot of emails about these books because they're quite unique, like yours is, your book on the winds. So do you still connect with Nanoa, or, 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 or is that time has that window closed or what's what's with that well this man whose name is Nainoa is a man of Hawaiian descent Hawaiian ancestry and he lives somewhere on the western coast of North America in a future which is profoundly different from that of today after Vision Seeker was published that connection with Nainoa slowly uh, closed interesting and there was I wondered <laughs> There was nothing like for seven or eight years. And then one night, Jill and I were in a, a, a hotel near a freeway in Sacramento. And at four o'clock in the morning, which is usually my time, it clicked on again. And Nainoa was back in my mind and he needed information. He sees me as a resource to recover lost knowledge from the past. It puts me in a very interesting position as a scientist, don't you think? Absolutely. And so I decided to engage in an experiment because that's what scientists do. Having written three books, I've asked Nainoa to write the fourth book. And the fourth book will be the book of Nainoa. And he's writing about his life and time in the future with his family and his wives and his preoccupations and so forth. And people are going to like this because I constantly get emails, you know, what about Nainoa? We want to know more about Nainoa. And so, you know, I wish I had more time to work on it. I'm really busy like you. Um, and having talked to you today about this, maybe this afternoon I'll sit down. He's writing the book and I'm transcribing it. Maybe it's already written then. Well, he's writing it. He's writing it. And I have to tap into him. And, and you know, that doesn't happen all the time. You know, I'm saying maybe he's already finished the book. You just have to tap in and get the rest of it because while you've been busy doing this, he's had time to write. You never know. Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> I hope you find out before my contract is up. Oh, no. Your contract is... I think you still have a lot of writing to do. I'll, I'll be with that north wind all those times. You have, you're, you're fascinating and um, very understated about... I mean... That day that he rattles, he's a very, very powerful shamanist, as he might call himself. When we were in Italy, we did a lot of um, uh, pump, what do you, pump and pump work, where we actually, we found that there was a lot of souls in that area that 
needed to go back. And I remember that really clearly of, because learning that work helped again at 9-11 when there were so many souls that needed to go back again. And, and I am grateful, grateful for that experience that I had with you that to learn how to really do that. We were boatloads of people we filled up there in, in a shamanic community, shamanic journey. What would, you, what, was, what would be a thought that you'd leave people with for some, some wisdom for 2018 now that we've, you know, suffered out these windy times of 2017 and they've been, it's been a rocky road this year? Good question. You know, I wrote a book called The Bowl of Light, which is about my relationship and philosophical discussions with a Hawaiian kohuna elder named Hale Makua. And he had a wonderful teaching that could be condensed into three statements. He said, as practitioners and as spiritualists and as shamanists and as mystic, our job is to love all that we see with humility, to love all that we feel with reverence, and to know all that we possess with discipline. That's about self-discipline. And, you know, this is our path. You know, we are to love, we are to know, we are to live with humility, with reverence, and self-discipline. And I think these are very powerful words uh, to close with. Uh, it gives us a sense of, you know, where we're going and how we're going to get there. Huh. Ah. Easier said than done, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when he did that, gave me that first one, Love All Did You See With Humility, I was thinking, wow, easy one first. Now, Mako was psychic, and he was listening. And he laughed, and he said, listen, I worked on that one for seven years. <laughs> so I've been working, I came into a relationship with Mako in 1996. So I've been working for 20 years, and I'm still working. There's no getting off the wheel once you're on it. Right. I think that's what is, that is the spiritual path, being aware that you're working still. Yep. So I want to thank you very much for, and, and taking time out of your really busy schedule. And I, for one, am really looking forward to you finishing that next book because it was one of my favorite trilogies that I've ever read. And I think the people at home want to thank you as well. And, and blessings to you and to Jill. Well, thanks, Renee. Blessings to you, too. Ahoy ho. That means until the next time. <laughs> uh, I hope it's not 20 years. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And blessings on your book. Thank you. Uh, flies, flies high, flies high. And with the winds behind you, how can it fail? Right, exactly. That's what they keep telling me. They laugh at me all the time when I get wind slapped. <laughs> all right, thank you very much. And stay tuned for the I Am Symposium. If you got here by some other way and you're not registered, Make sure you register because then you'll get links to everybody's websites and what other gifts they have to bring for you. So stay tuned. There's lots more to come. Okay, Renee. Until the next time. Oh, aloha.